So how's everybody this morning? Isn't it a glorious day today? Man, praise God. Praise God. For those of you who are here for the first time, I always dress like this. (laughs) Yeah, inside I'm screaming, so... I let, I let Kathy dress me one day out of the year, and this is what happens. But uh, we're excited. We're excited about uh, Resurrection Sunday. Praise God that He's risen. His, his, amen. His resurrection gives us hope, right? His, his resurrection tells us that there's, there's more to come, but we haven't seen the end of it. But you ever get kind of run down and depressed, wore out, taking a look at maybe your own world or the events around your life, going through hardship in your family. And this morning as we take a look at at Luke chapter 24, beginning at verse 13, we're going to talk about a couple of guys. That's exactly where they are. What had been going on in their life is they had just given up everything they had in the hopes that this This guy, this guy named Jesus, was telling them the truth. And just seven days earlier, on the 10th of Nisan, or or April 6, 32 AD, Jesus Christ had presented himself to the nation as the Mashiach Nagid, the Messiah, the King. He, He came down on Palm Sunday, and everybody sang songs like he's the Messiah, and the disciples were filled with hope. Beginning on the 10th of Nisan, every lamb was to be presented to the priests. And upon being presented to the priests, from that moment they would be examined for four days. At the end of those four days, if they were seen to be without spot or blemish, then they would be sacrificed at the brazen altar, and that would become the Passover lamb for that family. For four days, Jesus took their barbs. He cleared the temple. He, he taught. He, he, he answered their questions. Ultimately, the, the priesthood would decide, this guy's got to go. So they arrest him in the middle of the night. Why did they arrest him in the middle of the night? It's important. They arrest him in the middle of the night because they didn't have the rest of the Sanhedrin available in the middle of the night. See, the Sanhedrin was made up of 70 people. Have you ever tried to get 70 people to agree? Just take a look at our Congress. And every single one, the only thing that we have to comfort us about Congress is that every single one in there is a liar. And you would think all those liars would be able to come up with one lie that was the same lie. But they can't even do that. But I I digress. The Sanhedrin... They were not all available. The only guys that were available were the ones who knew about the plot. The ones who knew about, this is how we're going to get this Jesus guy. This is how we're going to get rid of him. So they brought him to Caiaphas' house, and, and, and he judged him and said that he needs to die, and they sent him to Herod. And Herod said, uh, you know, or actually they went to Pilate. Pilate sends him to Herod. Herod says, I don't want to have nothing to do with this guy. He sends him back to, to Pilate. Pilate's trying everything he can do to give him to somebody else. Ultimately, at the end of all that, what happens? The pilot declares him innocent, right? And just like it is for every innocent man, we always have him flogged before we turn him loose, don't we? 
So they had him flogged and beaten. The Bible says he was hoping to appease the bloodthirstiness of the crowd. That group of Sanhedrin that was awake still after that long night and early the next morning. By the time the rest of the guys, like the Nicodemus and the Joseph of Arimathea, the guys who were part of the Sanhedrin who believed, by the time they got up, the crucifixion was well in hand. He was already headed to Golgotha, already had the cross, the judgment had already been passed. He was taken from judgment and declared to be, at the same time, without spot or blemish. Now what Pilate said, I find how many faults? No faults in him. He's innocent. But we're going to take him to Golgotha anyway. The scripture lays out for us that that was God's plan. That he must be delivered into the hands of sinful men. That he must be sacrificed. But they never heard the next part. Did you ever notice that? They never heard the part where Jesus said, And on the third day... I will rise again. So on the evening of Passover, while folks are enjoying their Passover lamb, the Passover lamb for the world was below a hill in Jerusalem just outside the city called Golgotha, the place of the skull. And there he hung until he died. The next day was a high holy day, a holy Sabbath, and so they decided, well, we got to get him down off the cross. And they weren't able to finish preparing the body before the Sabbath day would come. So they brought him down. They washed him quickly. They wrapped him up. They put some spices in with the swaddling clothes that they wrapped him in. The same type of swaddling clothes he was wrapped in when he was born. Interesting. And then they lay him in this tomb. And they watched as soldiers rolled a two-ton stone in front of the opening and put a seal on that stone of Pilate saying, under penalty of death, no one could move the stone. And they went home. Now, just put yourself into the, into the hearts of the disciples. Four days ago, you were the highest point you had been in the last three years. Now all of a sudden, not only are you blown away by the fact that Jesus is dead, but you're also dealing with the fact that you abandoned him. That when all the soldiers came to get him, you ran. That you didn't stand with him. That you didn't stand up and, and, and at least be counted as one of his. And you let them just take him. And the rest, your mind just takes over with, right? How did they treat him? What was it like? Was he ever afraid? All those thoughts going through your mind. Why wasn't I there with him? For three days. Then the Bible tells in Luke 24, verse 1, early in the morning on the first day of the week, all the women who were the last ones at the tomb, or last ones at the cross, were the first ones to get up and go to the tomb. They were ready. But how did they go? They went with spices. They went with aloes. They went with with the things for treating a dead body. Did they go to find a living Christ? 
They didn't. But did they find one anyway? Yeah. They did. The Bible tells, and we looked at it this morning, they got to the tomb, and at the tomb there were two angels. And I talked about this. Think about the Ark of the Covenant for a moment. The Ark of the Covenant was two angels over an empty slab, looking down, wings touching on top. And for the last several hundred years, every time they offered a Passover lamb, they would sprinkle blood on that ark. And then when the women went into the tomb, what did they find? An empty slab. And on either side, an angel saying, he's not here. Why are you looking for the living among the dead? Isn't that a great verse? So many ways in our life. That's what we're doing. Well, the women, they're excited. They're stoked. Hey, hey, something's going on. Jesus is risen. Mary of Magdalene, a little bit later, is going to bump into him. They run back and tell the guys, the 11, hey, something's going on. He's not there. The stone wasn't even there. The stone had been tossed away, tossed over to the side. And all the guys said, you're crazy. What are you talking about? They said it was like idle babbling. That's nice talk for nutty, crazy woman talk. That happens at my house sometimes. I'm just saying. <clears throat> there have been a few rare occasions, mind you. But, but the women were telling the truth, right? The guys were the knuckleheads. The Bible tells us that Peter... And John, they run down to see what's going on. And John stops outside and brags that he beat Peter to the tomb. Peter runs inside. And they sees, and, and each of them, in one way or another, come to a place where they, they are believing or beginning to believe, pondering what's really happened. But while all that's going on, there's two other guys that the Bible wants to tell us about. And Luke is the only book that tells us their story. In Luke chapter 24, we can pick it up beginning in verse 13. Scripture says, Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. So these two guys, you know, they've been hanging out and Things have been kind of crazy, and they just decide, hey, I'm out of here. I'm going to go to Emmaus, hang out with some family, you know. I just need to get away from all this. All this disappointment, all this drudgery, all this believing that something was going to work out, and only to find out it didn't work out the way we thought it was going to at least. And, And as they're walking down the road, the Scripture tells us, that they talked together of all these things which had happened. So it was while they conversed and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained and they did not know him. A lot of people talk about why they didn't recognize him. The, the bottom line is the Bible tells us why they didn't recognize him. Their eyes were restrained. 
Their eyes were restrained for whatever reason, whether it's a, a lack of faith on their own part or the, the, the hardness of their heart, as we're going to talk about in a, in a little while, which occurs when something we think is going to be the greatest thing ever ends up being just a little bit of a drag. They didn't recognize him. The book of Hebrews says, Be careful to entertain strangers. Why? Because some of you have entertained who? Angels unaware. Well, isn't that what happened on the road to Emmaus? We've all heard those stories. They go around like on emails and stuff and talk about Jesus telling somebody he's coming to visit. And so they get all ready. They get all dolled up like we do on Easter. You know, we look nothing like we normally do. At least I look nothing like I normally do. And we, we, we put on our best face, we put on our, our most religious look, you know, and we, we hide all those other things that are really going on in our life, all those hurts, all those, all those hang-ups that we got going on. We put all those away and, and we, just, we just put on the show, you know, putting on a dog. Come and put on a smile and pretend everything's good. Well, we do that. We do that. These guys... They're, they're walking down the road and they're thinking, man, I can't believe what's going on. But Jesus, Jesus comes to visit them, right? That story in email, they get all ready for Jesus to come. They look their best. But the, the first thing that happens is, is a beggar comes and knocks on a door and they're hungry. And they had prepared this big old meal for Jesus, but they're thinking, well, you know, this guy's hungry. And so they go and give a part of that meal to, the, to that beggar. Now a little while later, somebody comes and knocks on the door and, and, and they are another beggar just cold, doesn't have any jacket or coat and, and you've got that warm fire going on so you bring them in and set them down and let them warm up, give them a, a coat, let them have some of that hot tea or hot coffee you had ready for Jesus, you know, but, but you're sharing it with him. And on and on the evening goes until at the end of the evening, the person is all bummed out and dejected and thinking, Jesus never came. And then he receives a little note. And on the note, Jesus says, thank you for the food, the warmth of the fire, the comfort that you gave. For inasmuch as you've done it to the least of these, my brethren, you've what? Done it unto me. So here are these two guys on the road to Emmaus, man. They're, they're bummed. Everything in their life is sideways. They're walking down the road talking, and they're talking about who? Jesus. They're talking about all the ways they're disappointed with Him. They're talking about all the ways He didn't meet their needs. And who comes up? But they don't recognize Him. Jesus walks up in, into their group with them. And He said to them, What kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk? And are sad. He said, man, you guys are having a heavy conversation. They're pretty bummed. And they're distraught. They're sad as they walk. Jesus could see that as they're going down the road. And so these guys respond. They say, then the one whose name was Cleopas, he answered and said to him, are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have taken place in these days? And Jesus said, what things? Now, who knew better than Jesus what had took place? 
He was the one that was on the cross. He took the whole journey and the arrest, the scourging, all the events that took place. He knew it all. But these guys, not understanding what he said, they begin to share with him. So they said to him, the things concerning Jesus of Nazareth, who was a prophet. Were they looking for a resurrected Lord? Do you guys know that there are some really dumb concepts out there about how the resurrection took place? I mean, if you don't want to accept the truth of the eyewitness account of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, they got all kind of dumb ideas. For example, one of the dumb ideas is that everybody had the same hallucination. By the way, it's a dumb idea. Are they looking for a resurrected Lord? Man, not at all. If they're going to have a hallucination, it's going to be a hallucination about how he's in the grave and all is lost. I mean, that's how it works for me. Isn't that how it works for you? Think about it. You go home, have a big old pepperoni pizza. Oh, man. (laughs) And then after your belly's full, you watch a little bit of the news. That's enough to disturb you, right? And then you go lay down in bed. Do you have pleasant dreams? Not usually, not me anyway. I'm usually getting chased by a crocodile. (laughs) Only for some reason I can't run. The good news is it's a fat crocodile. It's not moving very fast. So I have enough time to panic and wake up. Never have a good dream about how everything's going to be okay. It's ridiculous the ideas they come up with. Or they say Jesus just passed out on the cross. And they revived in the tomb. Really? That's a dumb idea. Why is that a dumb idea? Well, let's think about it for a minute. You got a big old pile of soldiers outside, just waiting for something crazy to happen. And you were just crucified. So your shoulders are out of joint. You got nails driven through both of your feet, through the tops of your feet, right below your ankles. Severing both of your Achilles tendons. By the way, that's a necessary part of the body for moving around. And you wake up on this cold slab wrapped with 100 pounds of spices like a mummy. So you unwrap yourself, get up, push a two-ton stone out of the way, and tiptoe past the soldiers who don't notice all this stuff going on. That's not going to work, is it? It's ridiculous. Why is it so ridiculous? Because, folks, people will grab at anything to avoid the truth. The truth is, historical Jesus walked the streets of Jerusalem. He said the things the Bible says he said. He did the things the Bible says he did. He died, and on the third day he rose. You still go and see it today. I've walked in the tomb. There's nobody there. It's empty. But here these guys are, and all they can see is what he was. What he was. He was a prophet. Mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. And they told them how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping. You hear the despair in their voice? We were hoping, this is not how we thought it was going to turn out. We were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today 
is the third day since these things happened. And certain women in our group, they went to the tomb, and when they arrived early, they astonished us. They did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Yeah, you hear the despair? It's all over, man. Three years, I bet it all. I was all in on Jesus Christ. And now it's all over. Everything I thought he was going to be, everything I thought he was going to do, it's done. It's finished. Despair. It's all gone. But you know what I have to ask Cleopas? Cleopas says some women went and came back and said he was risen. And then we know the two guys who went to the tomb, right? Peter and John were the two guys who went to the tomb and came back. Why didn't Cleopas go? He don't mind going, walking to Emmaus. Why didn't he go check the tomb? You ever been afraid to be disappointed by God? You ever been afraid to really put your trust and hope in him that he's going to let you down? They were more afraid of going to the tomb and finding out it wasn't true. So they got on the road and went to Emmaus. And on the way, they run into this visitor. And look what he says. In verse 25, he said to them, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things to enter into his glory? So here Jesus begins to speak to him and he says, guys, your hearts are all twisted up and you're ignoring, forgetting, not applying what the word of God has already said was to happen to the Christ. And the Christ simply means the anointed one, the Messiah, the Mashiach. Do you know the very first prophecy about Jesus is in Genesis chapter 3? It's called the Proto-Evangelicum. It's a section of scripture that speaks of the seed of the woman crushing the head of the serpent and the serpent bruising his heel. One being a death blow, the other not being a death blow. The very first proto-evangelicum, first mention of the gospel. It starts in Genesis, but you know what? It doesn't stop there. It goes from Genesis to Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, Judges, Ruth. You can go every book in the Old Testament and find something about how Messiah was to come, what he was to accomplish. And that's what Jesus said to him. In verse 27, it says, And beginning at Moses, that means in the first five books of the Old Testament, Beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Man, we talked about it last week. One of the most incredible prophecies is Daniel chapter 9 that tells us the exact day the Messiah would come to Jerusalem. April 6, 32 AD, the day Jesus came on Palm Sunday. Exact day. There's no jumping around it. It's there. Isaiah 53, we studied it on Wednesday. Isaiah 53 tells us that the the Messiah would die. Daniel chapter 9 says Messiah would be cut off, but not for his own sins, but for the sins of the people. 
that he might forgive the sins of the people. Jesus himself said that God so loved the world that he did what? His only begotten son that whosoever believes in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God so loved the world. Not just Israel. The world. Everybody. So he sent his son. We go through the Old Testament and here's what we discover. He's the seed of the woman to crush the head of the serpent. He's the blessing of Abraham to every nation. He's the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. He's the man who wrestled with Jacob. He's the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the voice of the burning bush. He is the Passover lamb. In Deuteronomy, he is the prophet greater than Moses. In Joshua, he's the captain of the Lord's army. In Ruth, he's the ultimate kinsman redeemer. He is the son of David who is greater than David. He's the suffering savior of Psalm 22. He's the good shepherd of Psalm 23. He is the wisdom of the Proverbs and the lover of the Song of Solomon. He's the Savior described throughout the prophets and the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. And He's the princely Messiah of Daniel who would establish a kingdom that would never end. So Jesus, beginning at Moses, expounds to them what the Bible said about Him. Guys, it's not a shock that he would die. The Bible told us he would. Psalm 22, Daniel 9, Isaiah 53. All tell us that Messiah would die. They drew near to the village where they were going, and and he indicated that he would go further. Jesus, he's just going to keep going. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening, and the day is far spent. So he went in to stay with them. So they come up to the house. Jesus, guys, listen, you need to understand this. He's not going to force himself into your life. They come to the place where those guys were going, and Jesus would have went further. He would have just kept going. Over and over and over again, we have opportunity to, to give our lives to, to Jesus Christ. Once you've done that, you've committed your life to Jesus Christ right on. You're square. You're moving, walking with Him from now to eternity. But every time you reject it, when He's there at your door, and He says, hey, I'll come in if you want, but if not, you know, I'll keep going. Every time you let Him go, you run the same danger that Pharaoh ran by hardening his heart. And hardening his heart until God stopped trying. Here, Jesus was going to keep going. But they said, no, man, no. Can you imagine? I mean, I know a lot of people occasionally will let me know that they were asleep during the sermon. Can you believe something like that? Man, it's so shocking when I hear such things. People every once in a while will say that. But can you imagine hearing Jesus teach you about the word? Like, there's not really any arguing there, is there? Are you sure that's what that means? Uh, yeah, I am the word. <laughs> it's 
so they were stoked, man. They're hearing from Jesus and they're like, this has been pretty cool. And, and you know, they had a lot of hospitality. So they're like, come on in, man. Come on in and, and share in this, in this meal together. So as they stop, as they stop, they asked Jesus to come in. Verse 30, now it came to pass as he sat at the table with them that he took the bread, he blessed it, he broke it, and he gave it to them. And their eyes were open. Was it somehow the way he broke the bread? Guys, it wasn't all that long ago that Jesus sat in an upper room with his disciples. And he said, this is the last Passover we're going to celebrate together, guys. And when it came to that time, that point within the Passover meal, at the cup of redemption... He's going to lift up the bread and he's going to bless it. He's going to break it. And what's he going to say? This bread is my body broken for you. Take, eat. Do this in remembrance of me. And now you got these two guys on the road to Emmaus. All bummed, all distraught. Life is, is going downhill. Everything's not measuring up. And they, they get a Bible lesson from this guy. And they walk in the house and all of a sudden when he sits down at the table and he says the blessing and he breaks the bread, it's like, boom, they see, they get it. And right then he's gone. How come? Jesus has always been looking for those who, though they don't see, will believe sometimes the only way he could get someone to believe was for them to see and so he revealed himself but he prayed for everyone who would believe in the testimony of the disciples that we who had never seen would yet believe he prayed for you and me that we would learn from the stories that he lays out for us in the scripture and put our hope and our trust in him as a result that we would believe even though we didn't see now those dudes from Emmaus everything changed do you know I mean on the way there they are as bummed as you can humanly be but in that moment in that twinkling when they saw Jesus everything changed everything And it was never the same again. They don't even eat. What's the Bible say? How do you pass a meal? Yeah. I might be able to pass one now. But after walking seven miles to eat? Come on now. They saw Jesus. And they couldn't wait to get back. Look what the scripture says. They knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened those scriptures to us? So they rose up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven, and those who were with them gathered together. They left their meal, and they took off, and they went back from where they had come from. Which is important. Because Jesus had told them to hang out there. Stay here. Now they're back where they're supposed to be. 
They go busting into the room. Can you imagine the scene? They bust into the room to tell everybody, man, you guys aren't going to believe this. So they bust in that very hour, and they come in verse 34 saying, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. So guys, picture it. The two dudes from Emmaus busting the door, getting ready to say, we just saw Jesus. And the guys in the room say, Simon just saw Jesus. How'd Simon just see Jesus? We just saw Jesus. What's the Bible tell us? Where two or three are gathered, there I am in their midst. He's no longer bound to be in one place at one time. But with wherever believers are gathered together. Think about this morning, all the sunrise services across the nation. Jesus was at them all. He got to see all the sunrises, hear all the praises. He's with us today. Has an opportunity to to hear us praise him. To be a part of our study as we look through the scripture. Jesus had appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road. And how how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. Now as they said these things, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and said to them, peace to you. Now think about this just for a second. Simon had already seen Jesus, and the two guys from Emmaus had already seen Jesus, and now as they're talking about that, Jesus appears and says, peace to you, and everybody in the room freaks out. Why? When's the last time a dude just appeared in the middle of your room while you were talking with a bunch of guys? He didn't open a door. He was just there. He says, peace to you. But they, it says, were terrified. They were terrified and frightened and supposed that they had seen a spirit. So listen to what Jesus says to the twelve or to the eleven. He said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your heart? See, they're still struggling with two things we still struggle with today. Why are you troubled? That's the same as saying, why are you worried about all this stuff? Why were they in that room hiding? They were afraid they were next on the cross. But didn't Jesus tell us in Matthew chapter 6 not to worry? Does worry help you? When's the last time by by conscious worrying you change your circumstances? I've changed my ability to sleep. But I have never changed my circumstances through worry. Jesus said if you cannot add one inch to your stature, then why bother? He says, look at the birds. They fly around. They don't gather. They don't sow. But your Father in heaven feeds them. Aren't you more valuable than those birds? He says, look at the flowers in the field. Aren't they beautiful? But they neither toil nor spin. They don't work to make themselves beautiful. They don't have to sew fancy clothes. Get a fancy suit. They don't have to do that. He says, yet I tell you this, Solomon in all his splendor didn't look as good as those flowers. Your father takes care of them. Aren't you of more value than the flowers? Then he said this, seek first the kingdom of God and all these other things will be added unto you. Folks, God wants one thing from you. He wants one thing for me, just one. To love him with all my heart, soul, mind, 
and strength. That's what God desires for me. He wants me to love him. And in that love, when I love God, then I will obey. I'll walk with him. I'll walk like he walked. Because why? I love him. Why am I wearing a suit today? Because I love my wife. I love her. Why do I have a haircut? I love my wife. That's why. Doesn't have to be anything else other because I love. I do. When I love God, I want to come to his house and worship him. When I love God, I want to study his word. When I love God, I want to be the kind of person God wants me to be. When I love him. That's the call that God has for us that we would love. So the first thing Jesus says, why are you troubled? Why are you worrying? And what does worry lead to? Doubts. Why do doubts arise in your mind? You're worried about all this stuff and now you're doubting. Whenever, guys, every single time we worry about the future, do we worry about the future while we put God there? No. If I'm worried about the future, God's not there. I'm worried about how am I going to pay that bill? How am I going to meet this deadline? How am I going to do this thing? I never think about the fact that God is right there in the problem, working in the problem, being with me, watching over me, keeping me, all those things. I never put God there. But I will doubt that he has the time. Soon as I start worrying, oh, I know God's got a lot to do over there in Libya and Yemen. He's got a lot to do in Israel and Japan. All the places around the world with all these things going on. I mean, I'm not sure he's got time for my little problem. Really? Go back to Matthew 6. The birds neither sow nor gather. Your Father in heaven takes care of them. Aren't you of value to him? You are so valuable to God that he gave his only begotten son to die on a cross, a horrible death, just so God could have a relationship with you. You matter to God. You matter to him. Every problem in your life. So Jesus is saying to these guys, don't worry, don't fret, don't freak out. Put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Trust in me. Jesus had already said, don't let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. Trust me. For he is the deliverer. Trust because he will carry them through. And then verse 39, he says, behold, look at me. My hands and my feet. It is I, myself. Handle me. See. For the spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. They thought they were seeing a ghost. But Jesus says, look. Look at my hands. Look at my feet. Why do you say that? Because for eternity he bears in his body the marks of the cross. Maybe you've heard it said, there's only one man-made thing in heaven. The scars on Jesus. And every one of those scars cries out to me, I love you this much. I love you. 
So he says to the disciples who are worrying and are doubting, look at my hands and feet. Understand the height, the depth, the width, the breadth of the love of God. Demonstrated for us on a cross in in Jerusalem. It's an incredible thought. And so, when he had said this, then he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still did not believe for joy, and, and they were marveling, they're wondering what's going on, Jesus said, you got any food? That's what he said. He's trying to help these guys out, and they're still not quite getting it. He realizes this is going to be a little longer session with you all than I was planning on. You got any food? So they fed him. And Jesus ate. After he was resurrected. One day, I will be able to sit down at a table with Jesus and eat bacon till I'm ready to pop. (laughs) And my arteries won't harden. No bacon in heaven? Come on, brother, you're killing me. No, bacon in heaven doesn't come from a pig, it comes from a tree. (laughs) Jesus sat down and ate with him. Look what he says. He says, now... So they gave him a piece of broiled fish and some honeycomb, and he took it and ate it in their presence. And then he said to them, listen, guys, these are the words I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all these things must be fulfilled, which were written in the law of Moses, in the prophets, and in the Psalms concerning me, three divisions of the Old Testament. All the way through, the Bible speaks of Jesus Christ. And he opened their understanding that they might comprehend the scriptures. In John chapter 20, this is how it says that. And he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And the Bible made sense. The Bible made sense to them when the Holy Spirit was ruling and reigning in their life. Then he said, thus it is written. And thus it was necessary for the Christ to suffer And to rise from the dead the third day. And that repentance and remission of sin should be preached in his name to all nations beginning at Jerusalem. And you are witnesses of these things. By the way, he says that's what we are, not that's what we do. You understand the difference? We are witnesses. That's who we are. When we are witnesses, witnessing just happens. When we understand that we are his martus, that's the word. Martus, from which we get the word martyr. What is it that Paul would write? Paul would say, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, you present yourself a living sacrifice. That's a martus, a living martyr. Presenting ourselves to God as his witnesses. Behold, I send the promise of my Father upon you. That's the Holy Spirit. But tarry in the city of Jerusalem until you are endued with power from on high. And he led them out as far as Bethany. And he lifted up his hands and blessed him. That's the last thing Jesus did on earth. 
He got to Bethany. He turned around. He lifted up his hands and he blessed the eleven. He blessed them. And it came to pass while he blessed them that he parted from them and was carried up into heaven. The ascension. Jesus brought up to heaven. And they worshipped him. That's the response to the blessing of God. It's worship. They worshipped him. And they returned to Jerusalem with great joy and were continually in the temple praising and blessing God. Continually in the temple. They wanted to be with Jesus anytime they could. They wanted to praise at every opportunity. They wanted to find that time to be with the Lord. Think about it. The first day after Jesus was gone, how much did the disciples miss him? What about the first year? Or the second year, third year, as they're going on in their ministry, how much did they long to be with him? How much did they long once again to sit around the fire and share a meal of fish together? Tell fishing stories. How often did they desire to have him just speak to them the words of life? Pretty often, I would think. And they lived their life, listen, they lived their life every day longing for him. Do you live your life that way today? Every day longing for Jesus? Sometimes life gets in the way, huh? Sometimes our loved ones get sick. Sometimes we lose our job. Sometimes all that savings we thought we were going to be able to count on is just gone the next day. What are we going to do? We can sit around and take our walk to Emmaus, talk about all the ways God let us down. It's okay. Jesus will show up, and he'll speak to you those words of life. But I'd like to encourage you in another way. There was a, a group of men in the company in Vietnam. They got cut off. The squad got cut off from their company, and they were under a pretty severe attack. The Viet Cong were coming at them from all directions. They are fighting in a circle. They just buckled down and fought until they did not have one bullet left in a gun. They started picking up the AKs that were laying on the ground, strewn around from the Viet Cong who they had killed. And they'd shoot those until they were out of ammo, scramble around trying to find more. They fought like that for three days. The rest of the company couldn't get to them. They knew where they were. They could hear the fighting. That company was safe. But they couldn't get to that squad. And that squad would sit around and talk in the night between the firefights and say, it's time to give up. We need to surrender. This is not working out, man. This is not going to come out very good. We got no hope here. And they'd talk about it, but the next day they'd decide to stay in the battle. 
The company commander back at the, at the base said, we got to get word to those guys. we got to get word to them what's going on. So he got on a Huey and he flew over the area where they were fighting. And he dumped out of this helicopter all these little uh, tablets, paper, written on this paper. He wrote a message and threw them out over the area. They just funneled down on top of them. It only said one thing. Hang in there. We're coming for you. We won't leave you behind. Hang on. We're coming. And so they kept fighting. Until one day they heard the shouts of their buddies on the other side of the brush. Saying, it's us, it's us, it's us. And they beat back the enemy, recovered the squad, and brought them back to the company. And we're all excited about stories like that. The bravery of men fighting for one another. But don't you see? That's what Jesus said to you. When he left you here, he said, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I am coming back again. And until I come, stay in the fight. Keep the faith. Fight the good fight. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And he will get you home. Don't worry. Don't let your heart fill up with doubts. Remember the promise on the Emmaus Road. All these things had to happen. They had to happen this way. For this purpose. Jesus says, trust me. It's going to be okay. I'm coming for you. Hang in there. Here he comes. We walk down our Emmaus Road and look around and say, man, crazy earthquakes and tsunamis, wars and rumors of wars, pestilence, famine. I've read all that before. And I think Jesus said, as he went through that section of Scripture in Matthew chapter 24, when you see these things happen, lift up your head. Your redemption draws nigh. That is, I'm coming. When I was down in Mexico, last time I was down in Mexico, I got an opportunity to minister with a woman named Mama Espinosa. She's called the St. Teresa of Mexico. She told me herself, and this was years ago, she said, Jackie, you tell these young kids, get ready. They need to be, now she was like 95 when she told me this. You tell them, get ready. They need to be ready because not only is Jesus coming, I can see his toes. That was a long time ago. I bet we're at least in the middle of the foot. Maybe just hanging on by the heels. I don't know. But he's coming. Praise God. We just got to hang in there. And do what he's called us to do until he calls us home. Or we see him face to face. Amen? Amen. Why don't you stand with me? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord God, we do thank you for this opportunity we have to study your word. God, we thank you for the opportunity to 
to God just hear the blessed story of the resurrection, Jesus Christ, you are risen. Father, we're just so expectant to see you. God, help me live every day like I'm going to see you today. If I live today like I'm going to see you today, there's things I'm going to say, there's things I'm going to do, there's people I'm going to talk to, there's, there's a witness that I want to walk like. Lord, I want to be like you. I want to love the strangers because I may be loving you while I'm doing it. I want to be willing to talk to that guy over there. I'm not sure I ever want to talk to, you know, he looks like, like he's just going to be trouble. And, but when I do it unto the least of these, I do it unto you. God, I want to be one who loves people like you love them. Just the way they are. And I thank you that you love them enough not to leave them that way. But you love them where they're at. While we were yet sinners, you died for us. To give us life. Man, Lord, I just, I just am excited at the opportunities that this world provides. As the world is spiraling out of control, but we have the answer. Jesus is the answer. Live your life for him. Walk as he walked. And wait for his return. He will come one day. There was a time when the the Jews stopped believing that Messiah would come. And then he came. And their voice was right alongside the other shouting, crucify him. I don't want to be like that. I want to see you, Lord. I want to long for you like the disciples long for you. Lord, I ask that you would be glorified in, in our relationships this day. God, that you be glorified in our lives. Lord, that you would know us. And that we would truly come to know you. And this morning as we have opportunity just to call upon the name of the Lord. I just want to give an opportunity. If there's anybody here today that doesn't know Jesus. Doesn't have that hope. But you don't have Jesus in your life. You have no hope. Can't make sense out of any of it. If you don't know him as your Lord and Savior. And you want to know him as your Lord and Savior today. I want to invite you to, as we sing this last song, we'll have prayer counselors around the room. I want to invite you to walk up to one of those prayer counselors and tell them you want to ask Jesus into your heart to be your Lord and Savior. And they'll lead you in the prayer. Jesus is knocking. He won't force himself in. It's all up to you. Lord, we ask your blessing and anointing upon this time. We pray, Lord Jesus, you be glorified in this, your house, as we seek to honor you this Resurrection Sunday. We give you all the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to close in a word of worship. I invite you guys to hang out and, 
and closing that word. And as the prayer counselors go around the room, if today, if today you want to take that opportunity to make a decision for Jesus Christ, I encourage you as we sing this last song, find a prayer counselor and they'll lead you in a prayer to receive Jesus as your Savior. If you're going through something and you need prayer, go to one of these prayer counselors. They're here so that they can pray with you, so that they can encourage you, so that they can help you on your own journey of life. God bless you guys. Have a blessed Easter, and we'll see you next week.